time for the weekly news recap. That's where we break down some of the biggest local and state stories of the week, including these. Mayor Lightfoot's gas and CTA card giveaway faces defeat. Today, Chicago announced a new program that will help police figure out where all of those private security cameras are and help people buy them. The Hard Rock Casino made its case to residents of the South Loop, and the reception was cool at best. 15th Ward Alderman Ray Lopez launches his bid for mayor. With today's announcement, Lopez becomes the first officially declared candidate for mayor in what is expected to be a crowded race. We've got a lot to talk about. My panel today is Paris Schutz, WTTW correspondent and co-anchor of Chicago Tonight. Welcome back to Navy Pier, Paris. Great to be here. And John Chase, Deputy Metro Editor for the Chicago Tribune. Welcome, John. Great to meet you. Thank you very much for having me. Starting with big local news, Southwest Side Alderman Raymond Lopez of the 15th Ward, he announced he's entering the 2023 mayoral race. As mayor, I will be 100% committed to taking ownership of the lives and safety of the people that call Chicago home. For the people that come here for work every day and for those that choose to visit us for business or vacation. Was this a surprise, John? Uh, not really. Uh, you know, uh, Alderman Lopez is a two-term uh, Southwest Side Alderman and has uh, gotten the nickname Chopez uh, <laughs> in, in the city council and, yeah. and in his neighborhood. Um, so and has been probably the most vocal uh, aldermanic critic of uh, Lori Lightfoot and even before uh, Mayor Lightfoot, uh, Mayor Emanuel. So, again, not a total surprise. He is making crime his main issue. Um, and that also is not a surprise. What else do we know about Lopez's reputation? Um, he he's uh, come up through the southwest side through the 15th ward he's been two-term uh alderman um he's really tight with alderman ed burke uh who is currently indicted uh which is something that um mayor lightfoot tries to seize on when she gets criticisms from him um he's uh gay mexican um and one of the most conservative, actually, uh, aldermen on the council, uh, which is what is a really interesting dynamic as this is going to play out. Yeah. Well, Paris, as John mentioned, the alderman said safety was his top priority. Mm -hmm. And he promised really he promised to immediately get rid of Chicago Police Superintendent David Brown. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, as John said, uh, Lopez has sort of hammered uh, Lightfoot on this issue of public safety uh, and uh you know, the superintendent is kind of the low-hanging fruit politically. When things aren't going well crime-wise, you say, I'm bringing in a new superintendent. So that's something that certainly for folks that are unhappy with the state of affairs would would gain some traction. And I want to seize on what John was saying. There is this kind of notion that, you know, Ed Burke, because he's indicted and about to face trial, he can't really criticize Lightfoot in the way he might want to. And Lightfoot kind of came to power criticizing Ed Burke. And no doubt Ed Burke would like to hit back. Uh, And so there's this notion that he's kind of done it through Ray Lopez. Uh, Ray Lopez has been the most outspoken member against Lightfoot. There was one uh, during uh, some of the looting a couple years ago, a a, a really angry virtual meeting where Lopez was was yelling at Lightfoot and Lightfoot said, "Okay, let's move on, you know, kind of ignoring him. So the two have really it's gotten personal uh, between the two. I also think it's interesting that Lopez has gone on Fox News a lot and and went on Tucker Carlson uh, basically to talk about his vision um, I don't know if that's something that's going to be super popular with a with a wide swath of Chicago's population. Yeah, it's an interesting choice there for sure. Uh, and John, you know, with the mayoral election 10 months away, are you expecting to 
hear a lot more candidates oh, yeah. announced in the coming weeks. <laughs> yes, I, uh, I think we should all uh, brace ourselves for uh, the stream of candidates. Um, uh, Willie Wilson, uh, who got a lot of headlines a couple weeks ago for his gas giveaways, uh, he's expected to make a decision relatively soon. I think people should be able to look out for that. Other aldermanic candidates, business community still hasn't really gelled around a candidate or two. But uh, Representative Quigley on the, from the north side is another name. I mean, uh, um, FOP uh, is going to, you know, uh, be supporting folks. So, yeah, I think we're going to have a very crowded field. Yeah. Willie Wilson's holding a press conference on Monday. wonder what that's about, Paris. Well, it, it seems <laughs> like it's a yes. I mean, I, th- I think there was an email that uh, initially went out that said Willie Wilson will announce his run for mayor. And then quickly it, it was retracted. <laughs> Willie Wilson will announce his decision. So it seems like all points, to, all signs point to him jumping. And then there's also State Representative Cam Buckner, uh, lifelong Chicagoan uh, Southsider, who said he is seriously considering it. I would imagine that he is going to jump in the race. And there was already, I think, in a Tribune, a story yeah. about some a, a DUI and some some issues. Second, in, yeah, that yeah, was, yeah, a second DUI. So. So there's gonna, so some of the mud is going to start flinging here on on some of these candidates. Yeah, Mayor Lightfoot though still hasn't officially announced that she's running again. But is there any real doubt, John? Um, not really. Uh, you know, other than the official uh, word, she's been fundraising quite a bit. She's been fundraising outside of Chicago um, the last month or two, um, in addition to inside Chicago. So um, she has a lot to a lot of ground to catch up though for an incumbent. Um, she's in a uh, unique position for an incumbent in Chicago. Usually they're in much stronger positions than uh, Mayor Lightfoot is. But I don't uh, have much doubt she'll be running for a reelection. What do you think, Paris? Is she another yes? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's not been a fun four years for anybody in that position, COVID and crime. Uh, but I think that she's thinking about her legacy and she doesn't want it to end with one term. She wants to see through some of the things that she came to power to do more equity, more investment in the South and West Side. So it's diff- And it's been difficult. Let's let's be honest. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of controversy around here, but it's been difficult uh, in terms of her own safety. I mean, there have been threats near her house. So this is it's a tough challenge. But it seems like, yes, she, she wants to go forward and, and try to cement these things that she came here to do. You mentioned crime. The, the mayor rolled out her own new program for combating it. It's a security camera rebate program. Give us the details there, Paris. Well, it's about $5 million uh, from the city budget. And, it, you know, it's not a big chunk of money, um, but it, it's to, to, you know, give folks rebates if they install security cameras, garage door cameras or something like that. And I think we just heard on your program the concerns about that um, is more surveillance really the way we want to tackle crime. Uh, it feels like a Band-Aid. You know, we're not getting at the root uh, problems. And then there's, you know, folks that are concerned that how do we know it's closed circuit and that the CPD isn't going to be able to tap right in and that everything that everybody does is going to be caught on camera? But, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's we see this in Springfield and in Chicago now, Democrats in an election year. I think they feel politically the attacks of that they're soft on crime and they, they see the crime numbers that are still up and they need to have tangible things here to show voters that they're doing to to, to combat that, whether or not. Whether you know, I think that we don't know much about this uh, surveillance proposal yet. I think aldermen want to know more, and I don't think it's a cinch that it'll sail right through city council until we get more information. The mayor made news for a different giveaway last week. Now, lots of voters got revved up when they heard that the city was giving away free gas and transit cards, but not so fast. The big giveaway seems to have stalled in city council. What happened, Paris? 
Well, there were a lot of aldermen that, again, they, that just it just happened so fast that they didn't they they wanted to know more of the specifics. So you know, uh, twelve million dollars here. Well, what is the threshold? What should be the appropriate threshold of families or individuals that get these uh, reimbursements? How do we know that it's not going to be taken advantage of? How do we know that it's uh, you know not going to go to the wrong people? So she had to have um, the leader on this, Alderman Dowell, basically pull it because mm-hmm. she didn't have the votes. So, so we'll be we'll see whether they can tweak this proposal enough to to get the votes, um, but. You know, obviously Willie Wilson had that million dollar gas giveaway. Yeah. The mayor wants to, again, in an election year, let voters know, hey, we feel your pain uh, at the pump and, and, and we're going to do something about it. And, and the thing is, the, the aldermen on the, the budget committee, they didn't get the proposed giveaway ordinance until something like two hours before the meeting. So I don't think there's much of a surprise that they no. didn't vote. Folks are never <laughs> happy when they don't have time to review, you know, the specifics of, of a proposal like this. Let's listen to what Ninth Ward Alderman Anthony Beal had to say. The biggest concern that I have is that we're we're playing politics with the with the people's money. You know, aldermanic opposition, as you mentioned, it continued even after the city lowered the income eligibility threshold. Right, it was went from one hundred forty thousand dollars for a family of four to right. ninety three thousand dollars. Right, right, yeah, and and again, I, I think they like you just said that. How do we know that this is the way it's going to work? How do we know that the right people, the people that need this the most, uh, are going to be at the front of the line to get this? So you know, it, it's it's like the the um, the what's that the the income uh, basic guaranteed basic income. There there was there was a lot of specifics to figure out about that too, where we're giving five hundred dollars a month to people. It, it takes a long time to set up a system where it works and it's not being abused. Some of the aldermen are saying that this is an election year gimmick rather than just a way to help struggling residents. Do they have a point, John? Um, Yeah, I think they do. Uh, You know, it's one of these things that, uh, you know, as Paris mentioned, uh, Willie Olson did it, and then uh, with money right out of his own pocket, and then all of a sudden you've got Mayor Lightfoot saying, oh, I'll do it too, but she doesn't have uh, Willie Olson's money, so she (laughs) uses taxpayer dollars. And she does it really quickly. She gets it right in front of the aldermen at the last minute, they balk, and which is something that is in the history of Chicago politics really rare for mayors are constantly like sure of things are going to pass before they get to the council. And the fact that they didn't have their ducks in a row on this um, shows that there is a bit of a gimmick element to this. It's her, you know, grasping uh, in a political environment with an upcoming uh, election, um, with her trying to get populist ideas in front of people, things that people can really easily comprehend, uh, gas um, and, uh, you know, and doorbells uh, and things like that, yeah. um, right? Those are very easy concepts and not a ton of money behind it and not a lot of planning. And, you know, once you start pulling at those threads, all of a sudden you go, well, wait a second, what did we really think this through? And I think that's the stage we're at right now. So the chances, Paris, that this $12.5 million mm-hmm. Metro card and gas giveaway will get the green light in city council? Well, like John said, you know, in the past, I would say 100 percent, because when the mayor has an initiative, usually they line up uh, the votes to get it done. This kind of opposition has has really started in the last couple of years with Lightfoot. You see more recently with um, some of the, the police uh, ordinance that got pulled um, at the last minute, too. It didn't have the votes in it that might not go anywhere. So I would say it's 50-50. I, I would say they're really, they're really going to need to, I think, 
lobby some folks uh, and get their votes on this, and it's not going to be automatic. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we are talking about the biggest local and state stories for our weekly news recap. Our panel today is WTTW's Paris Schutz and John Chase of the Chicago Tribune. Back to you, John. Uh, Chicago casino executives, they held three town hall meetings this week. Did their neighbors roll out the welcome mat? (laughs) (laughs) Hardly. Uh, This is like... Um, NIMBY, not in my backyard, mm-hmm. on yes. steroids, um, <laughs> this entire process. And I think we should, um, again, brace ourselves for a lot more of this uh, in the coming weeks and months. There was just another one with um, – so their first one was the Hard Rock, which we heard about earlier um, on, on the air here. And then just recently the 78, which is um, South Loop, just south of uh, Roosevelt um, Road, the 78th uh, community area in Chicago is mm-hmm. why it's named after that. And both of those hearings are, you know, went about as how <laughs> about how you would imagine neighbors saying, I don't want a casino in my in my backyard. Um, and the casino operator saying, but we'll make it really nice and pretty <laughs> and, and like, it'll bring in lots care. of. All right, exactly. And we're, you know, we're billionaires. And so it's going to happen somewhere. Um, so you are, I think we're going to see a lot of the same sort of rhetoric from uh, from neighbors, concerns. This is the start of the negotiating process between the neighbors and the developers. Uh, the city is ultimately going to decide one of these three projects, uh, presumably, um, is is the one. And this is sort of setting the stage for that. But um, it sort of shows that this is not going to be smooth sailing for any of these. Here's, the, here's the thing you are going to see. I, I predict you see like a citizens group that pops up that's like citizens for the casino. Because <laughs> yes. you saw that you saw that with the Obama Center. And and but that's like funded. It'll be funded by casino interest. So the one that wins is going to be the one that marshals their PR and their marketing to like make it seem like this is going to be good for the community. But it's an uphill battle because the older persons in each of these districts, they're not going to want to go against their residents in an election year and say, you know what, I heard all your concerns, but I'm going to vote for it anyway. That's not going to be good for them. Right. So that's why I think Lightfoot put this committee together of all these committee chairs who who probably are more loyal to Lightfoot than, than other older people would be because she knows it's going to be a heavy lift and aldermanic prerogative is still a thing. So they're going to have to kind of overrule aldermanic prerogative if they're going to get to a yes. Yeah. And uh, switching gears, the retail struggles continue on the Mag Mile. Owners of Water Tower Place are handing the property over to its lender. So is Water Tower Place essentially going into foreclosure? No. I mean, the the, the lender is going to operate it from what I understand and, and perhaps seek out a, a new owner uh, at some point, and I mean, this is really the result of Macy's leaving. Macy's was something like twenty-five percent, or so, some large percentage of of Water Tower. Um, but then you also have the issues on the Mag Mile in general, where there is a larger vacancy rate than you've seen in years because of things like retail theft and and COVID, and people mm-hmm. still have not returned. Yeah, how bad is it down there for for retailers? It's it's really bad. I mean, I, I you know you you survive two different sort of uh, issue, uh, situations of unrest where there was looting and smash and grab and the stores have really had to uh, like Chanel, some of the high end uh, stores like around Oak Street, they've really had to have been convinced to stay there, that it's worth their money to stay I think a lot of this did, if you talk to the real estate experts, it's not just COVID, it's not just the crime the, the trends were going this way before that, um, the Mag Mile is struggling to compete with online and struggling to compete with more traditional malls out in the suburbs and 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 you have the vertical mall like water tower 
which is really struggling. And so when you lose an anchor tenant like Macy's, which is kind of the, the store that got everyone in there in the first place, it's yeah. really difficult. They tried to get Target in there to replace it, and it, it, just, didn't, work. it just didn't work out. Now, before we dive into state politics, folks, I want to get your thoughts on a big national story right now. That's Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson. The Senate confirmed her nomination yesterday and at a press conference that wrapped up just a few moments ago. Here's what the judge had to say. It is the greatest honor of my life to be here with you at this moment. I have dedicated my career to public service because I love this country and our Constitution and the rights that make us free. Jackson's confirmation, of course, historic news, and her nomination process was overseen by Illinois' senior U.S. senator and head of the Judiciary Committee, Dick Durbin. So, Paris, Mm -hmm. does Senator Durbin get high marks for getting this Supreme Court nominee approved? I mean, based on the goals that he set out, absolutely. I mean, he set out a quick time frame. I think they got it. They wanted to get it done by Easter. They got it done well before Easter. It was a bipartisan vote. Uh, 53 to 37, they got three Republicans on board. And none of this was a cinch, I mean, given the hyper-partisanship that exists in Washington right now and the fact that Democrats have had trouble with two of their own senators, Manchin and Cinema. So he was able to get all those ducks in a row. He said from the beginning he had reached out to his Republican par- counterpart, Chuck Grassley, mm-hmm. uh, re- to lay the foundation here. It's like we, we need to have a process here that's going to be relatively civil. So – by all appearances, you know, he, he he did a masterful job marshalling this through, even though, you know, a lot of Americans had to sit through, I think, a lot of, you know, senators that um, are looking for clips to be played on cable news that will help them fundraise uh, should they run for higher office like president uh, in the past. And unfortunately, in the last several years, that's what these confirmation hearings have devolved into. Yeah. What do you think, John? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I think... It was not necessarily, uh, you know, guaranteed. I think if it push came to shove, she still would have gotten there because the Democratic, um, you know, has have the final vote there. Um, but the fact that it didn't come to that and that it went really uh, relatively smoothly, aside from a lot of the Republican uh, rancor, which did seem to be a lot more for the TV cameras than for an actual confirmation process. Um, yeah, Durbin uh, being sort of this was a main thing. This is something, you know, President Biden promised and has happened. So it's something he can absolutely put on his, you know, checkoff list. Yeah, I was going to say, check it right off. Check it off. So, you know, and, and it's been executed so um, successfully. And so Durbin definitely gets credit for that. Illinois lawmakers, they're wrapping up their spring legislative session. Now, the top priority is passing a budget. So, John, Democrats had dueling versions of tax cut packages in the House and the Senate, but they've come to an agreement. Right? Yes. Well, the Democrats have. And I think we will expect that to probably clear today. Today is the last scheduled day for a session. You we'll said last scheduled. Schedule, yeah. You know, they always is like overtime to in it. our midst. No, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. uh, they may go till they may go really late tonight, I think. But I don't think they want to get out on the campaign they, trail. They want to get on the campaign trail. So but they always like to make it a little painful for all of us <laughs> right. at the very end. So the two big issues were getting the budget passed, uh, which it took a little while for the Democrats to get on the same page, but yesterday they did. And crime was the other issue. Um, and the two sort of blended together um, uh, there at the end. Um, we're seeing a little more money for uh, what you would call pro-law enforcement um, expenditures for recruitment. Um, and then you saw on the 
on the sort of straight budget side, uh, $1.8 billion in tax relief. And that was, uh, again, sort of hitting a little bit of this populist um, uh, issues where you're going to get direct payments for, uh, you know, for real estate on real estate, uh, sorry, uh, direct payments on for taxes, tax rebates, uh, breaks on tax, uh, gas, groceries, and real estate, sorry. Um, and so, to, you know, it's not a significant amount of money. It's like 2.2 cents per gallon for the tax that will be frozen, one, mm-hmm. 1% freeze on groceries, uh, $300 rebate for uh, property taxes. So it's something. It's an election year budget. This is what we come to expect in election year budgets. Um, and, you know, the Republicans were really pushing for this session to be about crime um, the Democrats tried to pivot that discussion and make it like we'll address crime, but really what's also about, hey, we've got a good financial um, situation here in Illinois, which has been relatively rare in recent years. And so they're trying to push that part of the story. I see. Well, you know, Paris, you hinted at this before. They're facing a primary on mm-hmm. June 28th. Right? right. So did that provide a little extra motivation to offer voters some tax relief? Are you suggesting that politics could be part of this? Yes. I, you know. <laughs> in it, Illinois, no. Um, yeah, it could be. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's in line with like what we talked about with the mayor. Um, it's an election year. They, the, the Democrats understand that the, the in these midterms nationally, they're facing headwinds because of inflation issues, because of gas prices. So they have to be, you know, they have to look like they are tackling this issue. But, you know, the criticism from Republicans and because they're in the super minority in Springfield, I don't think it's going to really matter. But um, is that this is just kind of, again, putting a Band-Aid on a problem. We're not fixing the structural issues. Uh, And by the way, you know, Illinois has gone year after year after year with mountains of debt, uh, pension debt. Although I do have to say that the credit rating agencies have consistently started to upgrade um, Illinois debt, which does mean that the state slowly, maybe not quick enough, but mm-hmm. slowly is starting to get into a, a better financial situation. It couldn't have gotten much worse than it was. Right. Um, so it's, it is kind of interesting that Democrats are able to um, deliver these kinds of rebates while, you know, not not causing harm to the long term budget picture. John, the other big issue during this session has been crime, right? So what are the crime bills that they've been debating and what's passed? <sighs> Nothing's passed yet. Um, so they're uh, they're going to be talking about that today. Uh, there's been competing um, efforts by uh, progressives and by moderates. Um, and we're seeing this debate, um, you know, come forward. It's, you know, they've hitting all of the uh, topics we've been hearing about for the last year and since the pandemic, the smash and grab, carjacking. Um, you know, it, it's really interesting. I mean, this is a year after the passage of the Safety uh, Act, which was, uh, you know, pretty momentous legislation. And what we've seen this session is, you know, as it's come under the heat of an election in an election year where people have pointed at that rightly and awfully uh, most of the time not cor- not correctly because some of this legislation isn't even in place yet saying this is the reason this crime is happening and and but the democrats realize that that's a bad place for them to be in and so they're trying yeah. to pivot so you're see- it does seem like the democrats are um congealing around an idea here and i do expect some passage probably today um on crime it will be a not a withdrawal of the safety act by any stretch but it will you know it will do a few things to you know to ameliorate some of these issues they hope speaking of uh, crime jen i want to touch on this briefly it's playing itself out in a very unlikely place which is two state boards 
Yeah, it's just again, it's it's sort of the same iteration of what we've been talking about. Um, and Governor Pritzker's had a lot of successes, but not uh, perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And one of the places he's uh, he's had some struggles is on boards and commissions, uh, which is not something a lot of people care about. But two uh, boards, uh, the pension uh, pension, um, this the state police merit board and the prisoner review board, which basically oversees when um, uh, when people are from convicted of crimes, when they get out. Parole. He, yeah, parole. Uh, and he's had some difficulty filling those vacancies. And so he's not like uh, filling all these vacancies. And so the vacancies are building up and Republicans are saying they're building up and they don't want um, they don't want to have uh, hearings on these because those would be those would be bad headline creators for the governor. So they're just sort of stretching those out. Paris, speaking of the governor, mm-hmm. let's take a look at a gubernatorial candidate. Your spotlight team at Chicago tonight has been investigating some questionable campaign donations to Republican candidate Richard Irvin, mayor of West Suburban Aurora. Tell us what you found out. Well, I mean, and this this comes as, you know, you see him on the airwaves. Ken Griffin, the richest resident in Illinois, uh, deposited $20 million into his campaign and said this is the guy that's going to change the problems that Illinois has had with uh, waste and corruption. But looking at Irvin's history, you know, long story short, there is a consistent pattern of taking big campaign contributions from developers and interests that got big money from the city, got projects, got incentives. Not only that, there's a consistent pattern that a lot of these developers also donated to the campaign fund of his former uh, law partner in private practice, Brittany Pedersen, who's running as a Democrat for Kane County judge. Uh, And the last story we looked at was this $120 million uh, hospital redevelopment in Aurora that it was all politically connected in terms of developers that just got this without mm-hmm. there was no bid on it. They just the city just kind of gave it to them because they had a plan, but also gave them 15 million dollars in incentives and then a tiff where they could get 80 percent. That could mean 10, 15 million dollars more. And the development is led by Irvin's former campaign treasurer. I mean, Irvin ran his mayoral campaign out of this gentleman's office. And then we discover uh, this week that uh, the, the development, one of the development real estate firms involved in this development just hired uh, Irvin's ex-wife. The two were, uh, their divorce was finalized in uh, about two, three months ago, right before he announced his candidacy. Right. So there's a lot of questions here. Uh, Interesting. In, in terms of, now we have to, we have to caution, you know, this is Illinois, and this is not evidence of illegality. I think that the culprit here is the fact that Illinois law is so permissive in terms of companies doing businesses with these municipalities being able to donate. But you see companies like Scientel, a communications firm, they're routing their donations through different employees, and they're putting it in different funds like um, Pedersen, the judicial candidates fund, and a PAC uh, run by Irvin's former mayoral chief of staff. And that PAC also donated to Pedersen. So there's there's just this web of political connections and certain developers and lots of Very lots of incentives going. And one more thing, you know, Griffin has decried the use of, um, you know, incentives to private companies in the past. But this is the tool that the mayor and city council in Aurora has used to spur development. Tens of millions of dollars uh, in incentives to private developers. Will it pay off? You know, that's. That's the question that, you know, you have to wait to see. Okay, two final very quick stories here. John, one of your colleagues at the Trib uh, had an update on the Columbus statue returning to Grant Park. What do you find out? Yeah, that's uh, Greg Pratt, um, our city hall reporter. Uh, so what he found was there were emails. So 
back up really quickly. Uh, Lori Lightfoot said she fully expected the uh, return of the Columbus statue to Grant Park, which was the site of major clashes between protesters and police in which uh, people on both sides were uh, injured. Um, she had said, gone publicly and said, I fully expected to come back. And that was a surprise to the commission she had set up to look into public artwork um, and some of the controversial artwork, such as the Columbus statue. Mm-hmm. So they sent emails. Uh, Greg got those and said, and where the commission members are like, what's going on here? She's making unilateral decisions. I thought we were a commission. So, and the city is saying, be patient with us. Your commit the commission work is still valid and and it will be released. The report has not yet been released by the commission, um, and you know, no final decisions have been made. But that's one of these things where in this town, uh, the mayor decides what happens, even if they set up a commission or not, oh Often, as often the case. And I'm just about out of time, Paris, but 4,000 electric scooters rolling into Chicago next month? What? Yeah, be careful uh, if you want to use them. <laughs> and if you're a motorist or a bicyclist, you know, they're, they're going to be limited. Only one company, I think Lyft, is going to be able to do it downtown. So it's mostly going to be in the neighborhoods. And Mayor Lightfoot said, you know, we want equity here. So we want to make sure South and West Side, too. But there were two or more pilot programs um, and it seems like they went well enough to allow this uh, to happen citywide. But I'll look out for them. Yeah. That's Paris Schutz, WTTW correspondent and co-anchor of Chicago Tonight, and John Chase, deputy metro editor for the Chicago Tribune. Thank you both. Have a good weekend. Thanks you for having well. us. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.